All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, John, not John. Why would I say John? Because I've been saying it for two years. Um, uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to camp out somewhere, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, that being said, just to kind of reiterate, last, last, uh, last week we talked about the family. There's some things that I skipped in that, and, and, I, and I hope that you understand that the intention of walking through the family in particular was to really laser focus in on uh, the relationship between husband and wife and really how that plays out inside of the family. Uh, this week we're going to look at, faith, at faithful labor inside the church. And the way I want to do that is kind of convey a couple of things, one of which is I want to look at two of um, the illustrations that Scripture uses in regard to the local church. And then I want to kind of break down the origin of um, faithful labor in the church, some practical ways we do that, and then really the centerpiece, what makes, what, what makes it faithful labor inside of the church itself. So um, with all that being said, we're going to move through a bit more rapidly, if that's possible. It is, because last week I talked for uh, like 68 minutes, and I'm not doing that to you this week. So that being said, let's look at a couple of illustrations inside of Scripture in regard to the local church. Um, some of the ones, and the one that I think about most frequently, immediately when I think about the local church, my first thought is the bride of Christ. Um, when I think about, okay, if I'm going to speak to the church as a whole, I'm thinking about it from, uh, from the bride perspective. And we looked a lot, at, we looked a, a good bit of that last week. This week, what I want to do is really think about the illustrations that are given in light of our relationship to one another. So if you think about the relationships and the illustrations that are given inside of the scriptures, you're going to have uh, the bride of Christ, and that, that in particular is relating to how the church relates to Christ. Then you have the body of Christ, which is how the members relate to one another. And then um, also we have the family of God. So the, the, the couple of illustrations that we see really clearly laid out in Scripture is the body of Christ, which is multiple members in one purpose, and also the family of God, mutual love and care. Um, and so really what I want to do as we push forward, I want us to begin to think, that, and I hope that we push this anyway. I mean, one of, our, one of our other values other than faithful labor, and we'll come back to this really toward the end of the year, which is loving community. Loving community is based upon the fact that we are in actuality a body, multiple members of one body, and we are at the same time a family of God. We, we talk about this on the regular Thursday morning, men, when we sit down, I can't tell you how many times we have conversations about the family of God and how that plays out in relationship to one another. And really not only the reality of that, but also how it effectually plays out inside of the relationships that we have with one another. So uh, these are the two illustrations that I think are most important when we consider faithful labor inside of the church. Um, last week, we kind of discussed the concept of faithful labor. We think about it inside the family. That means that you are laboring in the way that God has intended you to labor inside of the family. And the hope is, the prayer is, that God will then birth fruit from that faithful labor. So husbands leading their family well, we believe that being faithful in that, God will produce fruit from it. In the exact same way, it's important that we realize that inside of the context of the local church, there is labor to be done. Um, and and it's, if we miss this, then we have really a, a bare minimum, we have over 90% of the population of any local church at best doing nothing. If that happens, then you don't have a local church. Um, I don't know what you want to call that. Uh, I think it, perhaps more than anything else, you would have to call it a, a preaching center or a place of performance or something of that nature because really the only people that would be doing anything inside the local church would be the elders and the deacons, those who were administering the word or administering some type of ministry, which doesn't 
lead to a healthy body. It can't. Um, you've got 1% of the population laboring while all the other ones are soaking up. It just, it, it's going to naturally cause strife. Uh, it, it, for a healthy church to function well, you have to have faithful labor, and it's got to come from all directions. And I think it also has to, we also have to have clear terms and what labor is being done by what people. Um, and so that being said, we want to look at this from the body of Christ perspective and the family of God perspective. I think one of the things that we have missed overall when we consider the local church is the family perspective. Um, when we consider the fact that my relationship to any member of this local church should be familial in nature. As a matter of fact, I can say with absolute certainty that inside of this fellowship, I have people who are far closer to me than my brothers or my, or my sisters. I mean, really n- not even not even a a real fight even. Um, And and I'm convinced that's the way the local church should be because we really do have more in common with one another than at bare minimum we do with our unbelieving family members. Um, We're united by the blood of Christ. You've heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water, to which we say yes and amen. The blood of Christ is what unites us. And that being said, that relationship that we have should be rather unique and, uh, and intimate even in nature. So that being said, I want to I consider a couple of things in the way of assumptions because we walk into this, there's a couple of things that we have to assume about the body of Christ. So um, first, that you have been born again. I make absolutely no apology for this. Um, inside of the church of God, and by that I'm making reference to the church at large, meaning all those purchased by the blood of Christ, um, we, we practice regenerate membership here. That means that we have an expectation that everyone who is a member of this congregation is born again. Um, so my assumption is that when I'm talking about laboring inside the church is that you are a member of the church. Um, it should be no surprise to you that we do not have an expectation of people outside of the congregation, outside of the family of God, laboring inside of the bride of Christ. You don't really see that. As a matter of fact, if there is any way that occurring, normally what you have um, is, is a false profession, perhaps first and foremost. And then secondly, if it really goes as far as it could, you can have excommunication because you have people inside of the family of God who are not a part of the family of God, and that demonstrates itself by fruit. So when we consider faithful labor in the church, we are assuming that the people we're talking about and the people that we're exhorting to labor inside of the body of Christ are actual members of the body. Um, I think the fastest way to send a church downhill into liberalism or into um, apathy is to have an unregenerate membership. Um, we aim to make sure that everybody inside of our local body has a vital union with Christ, is faithfully following Him um, in all that they do, and just more than anything else, that they actually have the life um, that the body does. And so that being said, we're making the assumption that the people we're pushing forward to faithful labor have indeed been born again. Secondly, that they are connected to a local body of believers. Everything we're going to talk about doesn't work outside of the context of the local church. Um, And what I mean by that is not your interactions with other believers. I'm saying that you can't have almost anything that we're looking at here outside of fellowship with other believers in Christ. You you can't be a lone ranger here. It doesn't work. Um, I I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people say, well, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't attend church anywhere. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, When I have someone tell me that they're a follower of Christ, they do not attend any local church and haven't for a decade, my first thought is you do not know Christ. Um, And that's not, that's not looking at them in their immediate life and saying you're immoral and what have you. It's that the, the people who are brought into the family of God delight to be with the family of God Um, and to not delight and even perhaps to be put off by based upon hypocrisy or really whatever you would like to label it um, is just to me a very clear indicator that you don't know the head of that body. Um, And so 
Anyway, that you're connected to a local body of believers. So those two presuppositions are vitally important to our understanding of everything we look forward to as we approach this particular concept. So born again inside of a local church, and by that I don't by necessity mean that you are a member of that local body, but you are in, in regular fellowship with saints. If you're not in regular fellowship with saints, then it's impossible for you to faithfully labor inside of the body because you're not a part of one. Um, you're a part of, yes, those who have purchased by the blood of Christ, but we do see that Christ has intentionally and that the apostles have intentionally laid out how to function inside the body of Christ, in particularly inside of a local church. If not, then we have to really toss out all the pastoral epistles, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which very clearly lay these things out. So that being said, what is the origin of faithful labor. How is it that we begin? Um, we begin by being baptized into one body. When we come to understand faithful labor inside of the local church, we need to understand that we are baptized into a body. Um, this goes back to the illustration that, we, that, that Christ gives us or that Paul gives us, that we are members of one body. When we are baptized into the church, we are baptized into one body. Let's just look at what 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, the many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spiritual drink. So uh, a couple of things that are important there, really looking at verse 13, this is important for us to understand, I think, when we consider faithful labor inside of the church is the prerequisite is being born into the family of God. As we labor to one another in particular, there really is no distinction in how we minister to one another other than are you a member of the family of God? Because if someone is a member of the family of God, our intention then is to serve them as a brother or sister in Christ, which essentially we'll look at kind of ways this breaks out. But the primary way we see this unfold is we are edifying and encouraging one another, spurring each other up to good works and to love for Christ. Um, if you aren't a member, if you're not born again, um, then that's not the way that we encourage you. Um, we encourage the losses we'll look at next week, not by saying we want you to be encouraged and edified in your walk with Jesus, but instead when we do ministry to them, we're pleading with them, repent and believe the gospel. It dramatically impacts the way that we function with them. And so we are baptized into one body and regardless of ethnicity, this is one of the sweetest things about the local church to me, it's where all, uh, all uh, barriers go to die. Um, inside the local church, there really is no barrier one to another. They've all been torn down. Ephesians does an excellent job of laying this out for us. Whether you're Greek or Jew or what have you, all of these things have been torn, torn down and now you are one man in Christ. And I think we do well to examine that and even consider how that plays out, how we minister to one another. So uh, first, you are baptized into one body. Secondly, we drink of the same spirit. In that previous verse, it says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so thus, what you have inside of the local church are those who have been born again, baptized into one body, and drink of the same spirit. The way I like to think about this is, uh, those of us who are born again into the family of God, I think about it genuinely from the, from the illustration that's given, that it is a body, and the way that I think it's best illustrated is the same blood runs through all of us. When we think about the Spirit of God that we drink of, it doesn't matter if you're a hand, it doesn't matter if you're an eye, it doesn't matter if you're a foot, the same life-giving source is in each and every one of us. And if it's removed, then we have no union. But with it present, then there's genuine and true unity because we've drank of the exact same Spirit. It's giving life to all of us in the exact same way. 
Um, and that's why it's so important, I think, from one point is that there's not a hierarchy of Christian. We all have the same spirit of God indwelling us, which means that uh, the same spirit that encourages me to preach the word is the same spirit that gives gifts for, of encouragement or administration or mercy or what have you in the local body. And all of those gifts are vitally necessary for the well-being of the body as a whole, which leads us into our third point. Uh, the, the origin of faithful labor is needs. I love this one. Um, you are not being a detriment to the body if you are in need. Um, we, we, we live in this world where it's like, if I have a need, I need to suppress that and, and really, I, I can deal with this myself kind of thing. That's, that's not the context of the local church. The context of the local church is, as you come into it, you have to recognize that I cannot be a hand, an eye, a foot, a heart, a lips, whatever. I can't be all of them. Um, this is one of the greatest detriments, I think, inside of pastoral ministry. There's an expectation that pastors really can embody all the gifts. You never see that in the scriptures. Um, I don't need to be able to be an excellent administrator because we have excellent administrators inside of this local body already. I don't need to be the greatest at mercy because we have members inside of this church that are excellent in mercy. And so the, I think it's important for us to understand the origin of faithful labor often is the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this does demand transparency. It does demand a, a perhaps even joy and weakness of saying that I do have some weaknesses and some frailty. And I think what this naturally creates in us is delight in the fact that God has provided other members of the local body to cover our needs. Um, just a fun fact, uh, if, if, if you didn't have the four elders that you have, um, I don't want to know how this church would look. I mean, we would, we would probably be in tax violations in 15 different ways. I mean, you know, because I don't... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so, but those types of things, like it, it's important that, that those needs are first and foremost, uh, not necessarily delighted in, but, but, but come to the surface and say, they're faithful brothers and sisters that can cover me on this. And, and for one particular end, which is the glory of Christ, there's unity in our weaknesses and God gives strength to cover them. So that being said, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 20. I love this. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so just really in this passage, you see Paul playing out this concept of there's no way that one body can have the same part over and over again and it be a healthy body. If you have 15 people who are excellent teachers and that's all you have, then you have a, perhaps at best, anemic body. But the beauty is that the Spirit then gives what is necessary to cover the need. And so really the fourth point here is that gifts are given to meet need. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that we had as we were discussing the local church on Thursday morning is, so do you pray for God to bring the need, bring people to cover your need, or you just, or you raise it up? And I said, I don't really care. Like, just, just, we have to have all that is necessary for this local body to function well. I pray them in by God's grace, and we see them raised up by God's grace. Regardless, we trust that the Spirit of God uniquely gives to every local church 
that which is necessary for it to be functioning. If we're dependent on Christ, if we preach the gospel, if we're faithful to labor inside of the local church, and we actually are doing what God has prescribed the local church do, which I think is simply put by observing the ordinary means of grace, preaching the gospel and caring for one another, then I'm convinced that God will do just this. And the Spirit does this as He so chooses. So He gives, he gives gifts to meet the need. And we see this pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, because He really does elaborate on this. Um, and so he says in verse four, now there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit and there are varieties of service with the same Lord and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit, listen to this, for the common good. You know, one of the things that became really prominent is the spiritual gifts test, which by the way, is just like a Christian personality test. Um, if you would like to know what your spiritual gift is, Ask those who you minister to most regularly. They're going to know. They're going to know that perhaps it is that you are uniquely gifted at encouraging each other. Perhaps it is that your mercy is a means of caring for them because all they got in them is justice. They're bringing the gavel every time. They need somebody to relieve them of that. That's what Beth does for me. Um, and so that being said, like inside of the body, he gives gifts for the common good of the body as a whole. And so we do well to ask the question not, hey, what is my spiritual gift? But how is it that I can best serve this local body in a way that is a delight to me and a benefit to the others? Um, one of the things that I saw regularly when I was coming up in, uh, as, as just a young man in church is that any warm-bodied person, the church would then place in a Sunday school teacher role. Um, so I'm grateful for people who serve, but Friends, if you're, not an, if you're not a gifted teacher, if it's not your delight to teach, find another way to serve the local body. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, but I do think it's a detriment when we say, hey, I, well, I guess I need to do this, but I'm not really gifted at it. It's not something that, that I delight in. I think we do ourselves a disservice. I think we also do a disservice to the people around us. We see the Spirit gives gifts for the common good. And so I think it's important for us to see that the Spirit is the one who gives the gift and it's ultimately for the benefit of everyone else. We don't examine our spiritual gift for our own benefit. We want to use our gifts that God's given us for the care of the body as a whole. So going on in that text, verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. I love this. We trust in the fact that the Spirit of God does this. When we go back to thinking about our value of gospel centrality, friends, when we have people born into this family by the gospel doing a work in their life, we trust that God has not only given them new life, that they can enjoy Christ, but also that they can serve this local body in a way that we didn't have before. We believe that the Spirit of God is giving them to us as a means of edification to us and also our encouragement of them, that it's mutual in nature. And so the origin of faithful labor inside of the church is that we have people who are baptized into one body, have the same Spirit of God. We have people that do have needs and that the Spirit of God is given gifts to the church that those needs might actually be met. Um, this creates a dependence upon each other that really is unique. It's not, it's not anybody trying to man mode it and white knuckle it through. It is instead often casting ourselves on Christ, but doing so in a way that often looks like casting ourselves on each other. Um, that's not shameful. 
as a matter of fact, it, it is really the thing that makes the body not an organization, but an organism. We labor together, and oftentimes me casting myself on Christ is calling a brother in this congregation to pray for me. Or perhaps it is that, that we have a family in need, and they need perhaps financial assistance. By God's grace, the Lord's given someone the desire to give a financial gift. That's, brothers and sisters, that's the way we cast ourselves on Christ often, is we cast ourselves on each other in a unique way that says, I believe that Christ has gifted you that you might care for me. And in the exact same way, I'm giving myself to the body that I might care for it as well. So we want to see faithful labor in the church. All of them, all, the origin of that flows from those four things. But that being said, there are unique offices in the church that are important for us to understand. Um, we're going to get to the, the saints in general, but I do want to cover the offices of elders. I think this is important for us. Um, and and for, for the sake of a uh, little expediting this. I just have the references written out to the side, but I just want to give you the faithful labor in the church, in particularly in the roles of elders. How is it that the elders are to care for the saints of God in this local body? We use that terminology often. We've even made strong attempts to, to make sure that the elders in this congregation are referred to as elders because we live in a very CEO pastor model world. And I really want that to die because I don't think it's healthy. Um, and so that being said, I want to examine this, th these statements. So first, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, excellent passage in regard to what the elders are to be doing. First, they are to exercise oversight. And the way this lays it out is the concept of, of a shepherding ministry over the congregation at large. They're to exercise oversight and care for the body, to be shepherding in nature. That means that when you call an elder, their, their goal, their, their purpose in answering the phone is to help shepherd your soul and lead you more toward Christ. Christ. That's the primary purpose there. Now that does often exercise itself perhaps in oversight and direction of the body as a whole. Um, but the way that we practice this here is the elders possess some type of leadership, but it's all confirmed inside of the congregation because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Um, we believe that every member of the church, everyone who has been born again, has a vital union with Christ and thus has the spirit of God indwelling them and thus their voice is valuable. And so we aim to exercise oversight. We also aim to be, as same passage, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, to be an example to the flock. One of the hardest things for me to say, by the way, is imitate me as I imitate Christ. And yet, uh, that's the call of an elder. As a matter of fact, I think we could even go to the extent of that's the call of, of anyone who's aiming to faithfully follow Christ. And so that being said, the elders do have a responsibility to model the Christian life in a way that I can say to any member of our congregation, hey, I want you to go look at him. Go, go have dinner in his home. Watch how he loves his family. Watch how he studies the scriptures. Watch all of these things in his life. And, 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 I'm, and I'm encouraging you in this so that you will imitate his pattern of life because it's worthy of imitation. Um, and that's simply because uh, as elders, our aim is to imitate Christ just as it is for all the saints. Our aim is to imitate Christ and thus to be an example to the flock of God. So we see that quite clearly from 1 Peter's examination. It goes forward. James 5, 14, very simple statement. It says, if anyone is sick among you, let him call the elders to pray for you. Um, you know, we can get into conversations about apostolic gifts and things like that. I'm not going there tonight. 
But the basic premise is we have a clear command in Scripture that if, you, if, there, if we have sickness among us, call the elders and we will pray for you and do so in a, in, a, in a way that hopefully is both exercising oversight and care of you, shepherding you, and also being an example to you. We want to pray over you and care for you in that unique way. That's a responsibility of the elder to care for the body. Um, and the reason I give you all of these is because I want you to understand that in our context, elders is not a CEO. That's not the concept that we're aiming to push forward inside of this congregation. It's people that love you and care for you and desire to be shepherds of your soul in a unique way. So to pray for the sick. Fourth, to keep watch over your souls as ones who will give account. Um, John 10, to me, is one of the most interesting passages of Scripture because our aim as under-shepherds is to model the good shepherd, the, the pinnacle, the best shepherd, as it were. Um, and in that, what you see, I think, really uniquely is that Jesus knows the names of all those who were his. And I think as under-shepherds, as those who aim to exercise oversight and to care for the souls of the people, that there is an intimate knowledge that we have of one another, that we really are members of the same family. That means that we know your name. We know the things that we need to be praying about for you. And so we aim to do that certainly as well as faithful laborers in the church. Lastly, uh, Titus 1.9, labor in teaching and preaching. Inside of the qualifications of elders, there's a very clear statement. As a matter of fact, it's the great distinction between um, elders and deacons is the line that's able to teach. That means that inside of the elders, we have men who are able to teach. They're able to answer your questions and to care for you in your studies. Now, it does not mean then by necessity that everyone who is an elder will preach from the pulpit every Sunday. That's not the purpose there. The purpose is to say that these men will labor in teaching and preaching in some capacity. They're able to give direction in that. And so Titus makes it abundantly clear that we are to have elders who care for the body in that way. I have to go faster. Um, so faithful labor in the church, moving on to deacons. We see this rather clearly in Acts 6 and then in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. So you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, but Lawson, do we have any deacons? Um, and that being said, uh, formally, no, we do not. We have men who have faithfully served this body in a way that would certainly earn them that title. And I will tell you that by the end of 2020, our aim is to have deacons installed because we are a New Testament church and we think we should uh, act like it. So um, that being said, we will have deacons, hopefully, Lord willing, installed by the end of 2020. But the particular care that's given to deacons is to care for the physical needs of the body in, in, in a very specific way. And I think even as Acts 6 makes clear, specifically in the case of widows. So uh, we'll talk more about that as we approach that inside of the context of our local body. So uh, faithful labor in the church deacons. Uh, lastly, faithful labor in the church, the saints. Now this goes for everyone. And what I mean by that is elders are not excluded from this. Deacons are not excluded from this. It's not as though we have a different task altogether and thus we don't participate in just the saintly ministry one to another. And so a couple of things that are very clearly laid out in the scriptures. First, the saints of God are to encourage one another. Just to give you one particular reference, uh, Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. The encouragement that we give to one another has to be in a direction. And when you look at the scriptures, there's always one direction that you have encouragement going. Uh, it, it is encouragement that we are faithful in our love for Christ. That's where it begins. Faithful in good works. All of those things are the means by which we encourage. We're pushing each other to something. Um, that means, here's, here's where I think this gets messy. Having other people encourage you means that you have them present in your life. 
and this is, this is where the transparency into the local body, that's why I think the family of God is such a lovely perspective because you don't get to not know your family. You, you just really don't get that option. You're gonna grow up in the same house. You may despise each other, but you know them. The very first person to know the evidence of grace in my life was not my mother. It wasn't my brother. It was my sister. I rode to school with her every single day. She was the one who said, what's up with you? We, we were not friends. Um, we are now by, by God's grace. But that being said, it demands a unique intimacy, one with another, for you to be able to encourage and exhort one another. And, and, and if I, I've said this multiple times. There's one thing that I could see develop inside of this congregation. I think it's already here. I just want to see it really spread abroad. Every person who comes in, they find themselves in this unique and intimate relationship with one another that when you're down, people look at you and they know. Um, there are days, Sundays, where I come in and I am a dead man walking. And I'm just, I'm in need of someone to speak encouragement to my life. There's always one brother who sees me before anybody else sees me. And he encourages me on the spot. And the only reason he's able to do that is because he knows me. Um, he's able to speak into my life in that way. And it just demands a level of intimacy that's vitally necessary for our well-being. It is faithful labor for us to be in the business of encouraging each other. Secondly, to serve one another. Very clearly, uh, Galatians 5.13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're set free from sin that you might serve one another as you were serving Christ. Friends, the greatest way for you to serve Christ, I am convinced, is to love and care for the body that you are a part of. It's a part of the body of Christ. You caring for it is a means of you looking to Jesus and saying, you are worthy of my service and care and I will gladly serve the body of Christ that you might be, that you might be honored and praised. And so we want to serve one another. Now, the problem with serving one another is we really have a major issue, at least I do, with a bit of pride. And man, if something's gotta die, it's very difficult to serve people because if we think about this from the, from the pinnacle of service, which is, which is um, caring for them in a way that is honoring to you or the lowest of service, which means that you're going, you're stooping down to care for them. Um, that's what we're called to. It doesn't matter if the service is perhaps glorious or if it's something that really is through the dust. We're meant to be people who serve one another and do so in a very unique way. We serve each other as if what? as if we were serving Christ specifically because we're ministering to those who are his. And thus we serve one another and we use our freedom to do that. It's our delight as free people who are born into the family of God and then by grace become bond servants to Christ to serve the body. And so we aim to serve one another and we aim to serve one another faithfully. Three, this is an odd one you might think, greet one another. So I'm gonna go ahead and give you the verse, but if anybody tries to kiss me, I'm gonna fight you. First uh, Peter five fourteen. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What's interesting about greet one another is it's the third most used command in regard to how we how we uh, communicate with one another. I mean, we use greet one another like, "Hey, bro, how are you?" From a distance, but that's not the, that's not the thought here. It's greet one another in the sense of man. It, there should be celebration when we lay eyes on each other. 
Um, you know, I think perhaps we, we, we're, it's a bit too common for us that we run into each other. And I'm grateful for that. There's nothing that I enjoy more than being somewhere out in the community and then running into a member of this fellowship. There is just a joy that immediately sparks. And um, that's because what I have in that is an indi- like just a moment of reprieve from the world. I'm looking at a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, and it's just a moment of celebrating, oh, finally, a, a sister, a brother. And it's just for a moment, it's like I'm just getting a brief moment of being a part of the family of God as I'm just making my way through the world. And so that being said, greeting one another means there's a unique affection. I think the best way to say it is a celebration when we lay eyes on one another. Um, Perhaps it's just me, but there is a unique grace that God bestows on me when I'm in a random place and see a member of the body of Christ walk up to me um, and celebrate seeing me. And so I just, when we think about greeting one another, this is not a command of kissing one another in the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But there should be this great celebration of laying eyes on one another because it conveys both unity in Christ, but also what value you bestow on that brother or sister when we rejoice to lay eyes on them. Um, Like they are a gift from the Lord because they indeed are. Um, And so we greet one another with a a very unique way, but not holy kisses. Um, Certainly in the context, but not kisses itself. Um, Stir one another up to love and good work. Somebody's going to listen to this and tell and say that I was questioning the authority of Scripture by not commanding you to kiss each other. Um, I'll fight them a different time. Um, So stir one another up to love and good works. When we are caring for one another, once again, it's always in a unique direction. The direction is that we are stirring one another up to love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 makes this incredibly clear. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Really simple, isn't it? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's interesting about this is there is a connecting point to stirring one another up to love and good works. And it's regularly meeting together. I think this is first and foremost done inside the context of the Lord's Day, but it's also the simple context of going through life together in a unique way. Not putting people off at a distance, not speaking to each other once a week on Sunday. If that's the context that you have for a local church, then you're missing a great deal of the Christian life. It's meant to be lived together where we're meeting together regularly and stirring one another, stirring one another up to love and good works. Now, All of that being said, all of that is rather abstract. What are some practical ways that we can do this? First and foremost, we pray for each other. Now, we pray for each other in a way that is not simply me calling you and saying, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. But it's actually stopping a moment in the day and having a conversation with somebody and praying with them. There is a unique knitting together of souls as we go into the throne room of God together. Um, when we consider what prayer actually is, it's growing, it's, it's going with hearts full assurance and with confidence to the, to the mountain of God and going there to celebrate together and rejoicing. Why not go with a brother or sister in Christ? Pray together and do so regularly and with joy. Um, we should be praying for each other and we should be praying with each other. Secondly, living in community with each other. This means that as we go through life, as we have uh, things like a, a child being born or you have a marriage that's just, that's just been entered into. I don't know how to language that. Anyway, um, but as you have these moments, we celebrate those things together and do so appropriately. We attribute glory to Christ for what he has done and we do so together. We live in community with each other. That means that we often have each other um, over for dinner. I, if there's like... One simple thing, eat together. 
What you see the New Testament church do so often is eating together, spend time together, spend time at each other's tables so that you can know each other in that way and, and, and fellowship together. So delighting in fellowship with each other. And I think the word delight, if there's one thing that I'm kind of seeing a theme run through this, is the unique affection that's meant to be had here and the delighting in one another. And so we delight in the fellowship that God has given us. Um, fourth, rejoicing with each other. Um, you know, whenever anything happens in my life, I'm calling like four people. Uh, three of those people are inside this local church. One is my mother because I am a mama's boy. Um, and we rejoice with each other that, that the celebration we have with each other is actually commanded. We rejoice together. We also, at the same time, we weep with each other. The command there is rather explicit. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Why? Because we're united. And this is where the union aspect is so important. You can't help but rejoice with those who rejoice if you understand that you are vitally united with them because you are united to Christ together. In the exact same way, we weep with those who weep because you are vitally united with them. You can't help but weep with them because you are vitally connected to them because you are together vitally connected to Christ. It is a very unique thing. And then six, and you're going to laugh at me. I literally almost wrote millennial. Intentionality, like if just being intentional about caring for the body is saying that I'm going to do this. I'm aiming to be obedient. Why? Because I love them. And that's what I think ultimately makes everything that we've just discussed actually faithful. Because I'm going to be honest with you, you can do all of these things and fail at being faithful in your labor. You really can. I mean, you can pray with each other. You can live in community with each other. You can delight in each other, kind of maybe. You can rejoice when others rejoice. You can weep when others weep. You can be intentional about inviting people over for dinner and having coffee with them. But if you are not loving them, then you miss it altogether. It's just a task to be done. It's a checklist. And so what you find smack dab in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is what? 1 Corinthians 13, which is always known as what? The love chapter. Friends, what makes labor in the church faithful? First and foremost, love for Christ, love for the head. If you want to love the body of Christ well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you, if you can't love Christ who is perfect and glorious and radiant and worthy of worship and praise, then you can just go ahead and phone it in. You're not going to love the body of Christ because we are imperfect. We are in need of grace. We are in need of mercy. And frankly, we're probably going to offend you and sin against you on the regular. So it starts with first and foremost, a love for the head. If you don't love him, you will not love the body. And so when we look at this, we must first and foremost fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and aim to be obedient and love him first. If we get that right, then it becomes rather easy. Maybe not completely easy, but it becomes rather easy to love the body of Christ. That being said, you have these just two, two verses that really do walk hand in hand. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Simple, command of Christ, love one another. Not only should we love one another, it's an indication as we look at verse 35 that you are actually his people. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You hear the command and you perhaps ask yourself the question, how in the world am I going to love these people? Well, verse John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's really interesting. As you walk through faithful labor, you're going to find that the root of every ounce of obedience starts with affection. And it starts with affection for Christ. And indeed it does 
come down to the care of the body as a whole. So first, we love Christ. Secondly, we have love for one another. 1 Corinthians 13. I know you've heard it read a thousand times, but I think it's important for us to even take a moment and look at it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We often read past verses 1 and 2. So let's just finish let's, verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's interesting about this is we would look at all of these things, all of these works that, this, that Paul is putting forth here and say they are good works. But essentially what Paul is saying is if they are void of love, they're meaningless. They're sound in the air. They're gone in a split second. They hold no real value or worth. It's just you checking off something of your list or something of that nature, but it's not valuable. It literally, he equates it, if we look at it in context, to pagan worship. It's the temple of Aphrodite ringing the gong that you would come in and worship in an idolatrous fashion. That's what he correlates this with. But as he lays out what it means to genuinely labor inside of the body of Christ, what does he do? He elaborates on what love to one another actually looks like. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then verse 8, love never ends. Now, we just often toss love never ends that. We talked about it just briefly on Sunday morning. That the love that we have for Christ really will never fade. Faith will certainly die because it will be made sight. But what's interesting about this is if we look at this in its context, not only can we see that from the perspective of love of Christ will never end, but this is making reference to how we care for one another inside the body of Christ. The love that the saints have for one another genuinely will find itself carrying on into eternity because we are part of the family of God. We will love one another throughout eternity under the glorious headship of Christ. We will be united with him in that. And so when we consider this concept of love never ending, I think we do well perhaps to say it should be our ultimate aim as we are faithfully laboring in the body, not to just do certain things, but have the origin of them be love for Christ and thus love for the body. It starts with affection. And if it doesn't start there, it is as Paul already articulated, uh, a ringing gong or a clanging cymbal. And so that being said, the two things that make labor inside of the church faithful is love for, love for the Christ, love for Christ and love for one another. And if we can aim to do this, if we point our intentionality to, I want to love Jesus, I want to love the body, then you'll find that all of these other things come naturally. It's not difficult to be thinking of other people inside the body when you are loving them, even if it's at a distance. And so that being said, that's our aim here. When we think about faithful labor inside of the church, we want to do so born of love for Christ and love for one another and then do the things that he has commanded us to do, which is encourage one another, strengthen one another, pray for one another, live life together. So all that being said, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to practice this. Um, and so let me pray for us and then uh, we'll move on. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for... Our time together, Lord, we thank you for the love that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for the love of Christ that is glorious and radiant, that it is sweet. Lord, that it has dramatically impacted us and has left us fundamentally different. 
And Father, I pray the love that Christ has given to us, we would gladly bestow to the members of the church, those who are bought with your blood, Lord, that we labor together by encouraging one another, strengthening one another, praying for one another. And Lord, for those who are in specific offices, I pray that we would be faithful to meet the the objectives, if you will, that you have laid out for us, the tasks that you have laid out for us. And Lord, we ask you above all that you would continue to knit this body together in unity and that unity be rooted only in the fact that we delight together in the glory of Christ. It is in the name of Jesus and through his blood we pray. Amen.